2: Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am the Zach on the Film. Joining me across the room is Rodrigo Lopez. Hey, man. Across on the keyboard and sitting next to the mic, Steven Schleicher. What's up? And Matthew
3: Peterson over there, probably eating some Cheetos. On drums. And I don't eat Cheetos. How dare you, sir?
4: Do you prefer the the puffs or I the think crunchies? we've talked about the puffs.
3: But... <laughs> Have we?
4: Yeah. It was on a top five. Go find that top five, you guys. <laughs> oh, with the chopsticks? That was no, that's, my that's, yeah. Man. Matthew does something much. something that he finds delicious, and the rest of us found super gross. Go find <laughs> that top five, you guys.
2: Just actually listen to any episode we've ever created. Yeah. Matthew does something gross, and we all hey up. hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> no
5: You're wrong. Man, Zach is speaking the truth tonight. Zach, let uh, okay, to that? drink
2: a Red Bull before we recorded. Join us for I'm flying high on a stretcher. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Matthew and I you, get into a ring Two guys wearing spandex go after each other I'll be up in a stretcher
5: Oh no there's an easy way to take Matthew down
4: Oh Can we get <laughs> there to, yes. a, can <laughs> we get let's to talk the on about, film part yes, of it Yes film Let's talk
5: about Max Landis
2: Oh okay let's talk about Max Landis So American Ultra came out uh, Last week This last weekend correct? Mm-hmm. Um, starring uh, Lex Luthor And Twilight Lady
4: yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lex, Lex Luthor and Bella Swan. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Just, Jesse. I, I didn't actually Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart. Yeah, right, okay. right. right, right. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays a stoner who wakes up and finds out he's like the super secret spy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, hijinks and ensue. Did you go see it? I did not.
5: No. Oh.
2: Well, <laughs> you're the problem. <laughs> I'm Zach. the problem. Neither, neither did anyone. I'm else a problem. Yeah. Uh, so Max Landis, screenwriter of said movie, which I didn't actually know leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, he wrote Chronicle. Yeah. He is John Landis' son. Yes. He has a couple other stuff in the works. He did the Frankenstein movie that's coming yep. out this mm-hmm. well.
4: Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Right. Uh, Professor X
2: Frankenstein. Yep. Yes. There we Harry go. Potter Professor <laughs> X Frankenstein. <laughs> yes. Um, he came out on Twitter because American Ultra bombed at the box office. No one went and saw this movie. Um, even though it had a lot of media and ad pushes behind uh, it. It had a lot of ad time. All over the place. Did not do well. Max Landis took to Twitter this weekend and was like, "You know why?" He's like, "Well, is are we done with originality? It lost to a sequel, a sequel, a, a reboot, a biopic, and a sequel. Or are we just done with original
3: ideas?" I don't know. Max. Are we or done do with you start giving us original ideas? Oh yeah.
5: snap! Oh Bam. man, too mean, Dude, too soon.
3: No, well, not too mean. Here's here's no, the thing. Not. This is the thing. When you well, come he is in doing, public, yeah, and you make a remark like that. You leave yourself open to the question. And this is the thing. First of all, I think that American Ultra is an incredibly boring title. I actually had to go and dig up what the film was about to do my research here on Zach on Film. And from what I can tell, it seems to be about the amnesiac spy thing where somebody oh, they have implanted memories or they don't know they have memories. It's it's literally, there's a whole page on TV tropes about you're secretly a spy or you're secretly a ninja. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is not an original idea. This is a highly used tropey idea. That doesn't make the movie bad. That doesn't mean that people should not go see it. That doesn't mean that I think Max Landis made a bad movie because I haven't seen it. But I can tell you that he opened himself up to serious mockery. When he made a movie with a familiar, well used plot element like that and then said, Well, people just don't understand my original genius. And
5: it's also funny that he's doing Frankenstein. Sure.
3: Oh
2: yeah. Well he even talks about he if you don't do you guys follow Max Landis on Twitter? Uh I maybe. I do. And he talks a lot about screenwriting and does a lot of stuff on Reddit and he talks a lot. And it's interesting <laughs> to see uh his ideas on this and then comes out with this quote unquote original idea and a watch it tank when he even talks about all the time. He's like, well, we can't get anything made besides sequels and reboots and stuff sure. like that. And he's working on two TV shows, which he says, have, which he said as our adaptations of something, sure. he hasn't really announced sure. it. He, I mean, he works on a lot, a lot of different stuff like that.
5: So there's, I guess there's two, two areas of discussion here. Uh, the first being, uh, his Chronicle director opened his mouth up and talking about how crappy Hollywood is. And everyone jumped all over his case. Max Landis, though, says, oh, is Hollywood devoid of ideas anymore? And everyone seems to give him a pass. And well, it's just like, oh, here's, well, you know, here's he's a this di- guy. Here's the difference. Yeah, my dad's John Landis. So, well,
2: you know, I can get away with because anything.
4: people don't know that. Like, people don't care. I don't think people care well, about that. Only film people know. Yeah, that. only only us nerds care mm-hmm. about
2: Maybe that. Maybe his last name was Spielberg.
4: The problem is that uh, Trank went after Fox. Yeah. And I think people were... And this came at the end of a movie that had tanked in the past. People were looking at it. People were looking at the movie itself. The movie was controversial because of the Human Torch casting. So it's like there was all of these eyes on that movie. And then when it tanked, he said... It's Fox's fault, mm-hmm. not mine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Landis, po- first off, maybe more intelligently, poses it as a question is like, why didn't anybody go see my super cool original movie, guys? And it's kind of putting mm-hmm. it on us, right. which weirdly yeah. works for him, like works for the whole thing. Is like, people are like, huh, yeah, I guess. I guess they did lose to all those reboots, Max. I'm sorry. We should have gone to see it. And I was like, no. Mm-mm. Here's the thing. Here, here's, here's what I think. Um, nobody went to see American Ultra because despite the fact that it was highly advertised and very, um, well, diffused and opened everywhere, um, it looked like garbage. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, it did not look good. And that is maybe on the advertising team, on the trailers, that made it look
5: terrible. Could just be a crappy. That, I, I thought it was a dumb premise myself. The uh, minute I saw it, I was like, you know, eh, well, I don't care to see well, either one of those here's two. Here's the thing. I mean, counter to what he's saying,
4: dumb premises, dumb used up premises work. Chuck was on TV for, like, seven or eight seasons. Yeah, yeah. And that is the premise of Mm -hmm. Chuck. Like, you could have made a new The Chuck movie... Yep. ...except with a stoner instead of, like, a nerdy cubicle guy, and it would have been fine. But there was just something, like, watching that movie, watching every moment of that trailer, I was like, I do not want to see this in any way. Mm -hmm. Which is really the... kind of a separate question of, you know, when you look at how a movie does opening week, which is what everybody seems to care about for some reason, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all you're gauging is the market, like the original marketability of the movie and the caliber of your advertising team and the amount of advertising dollars spent on it, right? So if nobody went to see Fantastic Four on the opening weekend, that's because of buzz. It's not because of whether the movie is good or bad because nobody knew whether the movie was going to be good or bad when they walked in. Same thing with any movie.
3: Do you think
2: think he has a point, Stephen? Do you think he has a reason to be mad that his film lost it? Well, okay, so if uh,
5: if we look at the, the, the more important question is, why isn't Hollywood interested in original ideas? Not let's take American Ultra out of the equation and let's just look at the question of our original ideas over in Hollywood. I would tend to agree with him. And the reason is, if something works, you don't change it. And that is unfortunately the attitude of Hollywood because they have people who are a scared to lose their jobs. So they're going to bank on stuff that they know has worked. And um, for Hollywood, it's like, hey, there's more money to be made in a sequel to Terminator than there is in telling the next John Green, you know, adapting the next John Green book. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I do agree with him that, yes, uh, from so that's, the Hollywood that's, standpoint,
4: that's weirdly, just uh, one step down the ladder, right? Because the next John Green book has a built in audience yeah, it does. and is itself mm-hmm. uh, it, it, a rehash in it, some it, way because it's an adaptation. Right.
5: But in the example that I'm that I'm saying here, sure. John Green stories are more original than sure. a Terminator sure. sequel. Sure. Mm-hmm. So in that case, yeah, he's absolutely right that Hollywood re- would rather bank on Let's tell a sequel to uh, Finding Nemo. Let's tell a sequel to Frozen. Let's tell a sequel to Terminator. Let's do a Star Wars sequel because we know that that's something that the audience understands and that the audience enjoys. And we can calculate about how much money we can make if we spend this much money on it. And so that is a, a known factor. And Hollywood doesn't like to work with unknown factors. That's why whenever you start to see um a certain it girl starting to make an appearance suddenly all of the actresses have to look like xyz actress that's why all the actors have to look like this actor it's why all the stories have to revolve around this idea and so you start to to see that and yeah right i i don't see a lot of uh originality out of the major hollywood studios
2: this has been my kind of thought for a while now because this is a th- this isn't a new idea. It's no, this is original. Forever. It's something we talk about all the time. And so then I end up thinking about it and I don't remember what spurred this idea. I think it was something I was watching on TV. Um, but I got to a point and if you read enough, it's like, well, all the stories we're telling no matter what are all Ooh, formulaic sure. in the same sense. Yeah. So it's either nothing is original or, like, everything is original in my <laughs> well, Because yeah. even if it's Transformers 7, they're gonna do something different. There's gonna be different people in the film. That's right. essentially an original thing. Right. It depends. You just have to, I have to look at it. Like, you can either be super pessimistic about it and be like, nothing's original. Or you can say, everything is original, and we're only always building on what's come before, because that's all we've ever done.
4: Right. It it goes back to kind of uh in, like, the, the way that they look at copyright law, these, are, what is it, points of similarity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you can, all of us, without thinking about it, have a set number of points of similarity that we're willing to tolerate, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you can watch a movie like uh, Dread, which is, like so many other, we're locked in here with the bad guys movies. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I heard somewhere that it's actually almost blow for blow like this other movie that came out fairly
5: uh, well I mean it's this the idea I mean I wouldn't say it's blow for blow sure. but the premise of the raid redemption is is very much similar right. they're in a block so, down mm-hmm. place so, and they have to get up to the big boss you know a
4: movie like dread for example is interesting because in a sense they're banking on those points of similarity to the judge dread 2000 AD mm-hmm. stuff um And also, they're kind of hoping that you will forgive the points of similarity to other things, right? It's like, was that an original movie? Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, most people would say, yeah, even though it has a lot of points of similarity. You can do, sometimes, if you openly say that something's an homage, you get more, like, the you get to cash in more points of similarity, Mm -hmm. right? If you're like, well, this is our take on Seven Samurai. People are like, oh, yeah, here's five more points of similarity you're allowed to have. To Seven Samurai right. before we just straight up call this a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Because, so
3: because you admitted your your influence there, sure,
4: right? Sure, and 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 that's just kind of what it comes down to. So you're right. Some people, uh, for example, my mom, like she allows like zero points of similarity. Mm. Like, she is super critical <laughs> about movies, and she's like, this is, like, the same thing as that other movie. She also doesn't like it when they change anything in properties. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, this is not the Batman mm-hmm. I remember, so I do not like this <laughs> Batman movie.
5: Well, right. and it's very similar. But some people, yeah.
4: some people will go in and watch... Um,
5: Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Which is that TV series on, uh, what is it? Whatever network it's on, but oh, there are so yeah. many points of similarities between it and Fight Club that I can't, I couldn't make it past sure, episode five. Sure.
4: No, absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, it, like it's like with us and Heroes, mm-hmm. right? Like we sat there and watched oh, a couple yeah. seasons of Heroes, and we were like, "This, X-Men. this is the Claremont X Men era, yeah. right? Like right down to the page number." So you know, it it, it just really depends on what everybody allows. So you're mm-hmm. right, Zach. Is like, it depends on where you set your points of similarity, and that's going to vary from movie to to movie, from genre to genre, some romantic comedies are almost cookie-cutter clones of each other. Some action oh, yeah. movies mm-hmm. are cookie-cutter clones yeah. of each other. But as an entirely different sector of the population will berate right. one and forgive the other mm-hmm. because that's what they like, and right. they're okay with those points of similarity.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And I think that, you know, uh, leaving aside the irony of a director who probably got a little bit more exposure because of the familiarity of his name, when we talk about the familiarity of the properties that you see in movies these days, it's almost a non-issue anymore because half the time when you see something that claims to be a remake or claims to be a revamp or a launch boot, whatever you want to call it, the only similarity is really in the title. And then they go and do something entirely different with it, which... The 2009 Star Trek movie, which is not any Star Trek that has come before, not necessarily bad for it, uh, but it's something where, really, the only thing it has in common with the Star Trek before is entirely on that surface level, and they've gone somewhere entirely different with it. So, is that a fear of originality? Because, for all intents and purposes, that's a whole new set of characters, basically in a whole new film, breaking some of the cardinal rules... That the title Star Trek brought with it up till 2009. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting that you argument. it's
5: interesting that you say that from a person who hates ultimate the Ultimate Universe.
3: Oh, I do hate the Ultimate Universe. I don't necessarily care for the 2009 Star Trek either, but I'm willing to accept it for what it is, because and this is an this is an important distinction for me. They made a point of diverging from extant Star, War- Star Trek stories. I said Star Wars. I was going to get beaten down. Star Trek stories when they did their thing. And they said, we know you guys expect X, Y, and Z. This is a Star Trek that is going to give you A, B, and Q. and that yeah, to- Q is going to be in the next one. <laughs> hey, I can't wait for Q to
5: show Rodrigo's- up. I sure as hell hope it's not a remake of Wrath uh, of Khan.
3: Oh, it will be. But that's the thing. Rodrigo's points of similarity comes into point. They said, you're not going to have those way markers. You're not going to have those things you expect. But it's okay. It's still Star Trek. We're just doing something sort of different with it. And again, American Ultra is a terrible, boring title.
4: (laughs) Well, and that also points to something that we've talked about on this show before. And we've talked about in some of our other shows as well. I have this firm belief that in an almost religious way... There is. There are certain executives that you have to go through, and yes. they will not. Yes. Will not greenlight something unless it has a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. Right. And what that ends up meaning is that frequently they will get a property, and smush it into either the script they already had, or mm-hmm. change it into another script that they think will work best for. Film, we've talked about. uh, I think we've talked on the show about Wanted, Mm -hmm. right? If you read the comic book Wanted, it is nothing, nothing. Oh, well, the main character is absolutely nothing, but nothing else is like the movie Wanted. Mm -hmm. Why? The comic book Wanted had plenty of wacky stuff to draw on, Mm -hmm. and the movie Wanted is not really any better in any way. They just kind of took a title title that had that. That they didn't even have that much recognition because mm-hmm. although it was popular within comic readers, it was not widely known. That was just a hurdle that somebody said, I am willing to spend $300,000 to clear this hurdle to get a movie made. Mm-hmm. I don't know how right. much the rights for wanted or I have no real concept of money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, however much it was, like I am willing to just pay that toll to get a movie made so that I can be the executive producer on it and actually make some money here.
5: Well, you know, and and I'm not a fan of the remakes because we heard over the summer movie special with Poltergeist, it's like what a what a waste uh sure. of of effort and energy it is to do that. But when you have uh accounting majors running studios, you don't get the creative freedom. You have to stay within those boundaries of where is the profit loss going to be? What can we take a risk on? And what's going to be a sure thing? And as the line well, in the film says, always bet on black.
4: Well, and, and you know, to a certain degree, uh, Landis, is, as, as Matthew alluded to, Landis's points of similarity come from somewhere else. right? Mm-hmm. He's got some movies under his belt. He's got a a, a he comes from a, a filmmaking family. So they are probably willing to give. He's also like. A mouthy young director, Mm -hmm. right? Writer, screenwriter, Screenwriter. director, Mm -hmm. or whatever.
3: I I would never say intolerable hipster, but damn.
4: (laughs) Uh, Like, he's he's an iconoclast of sorts. (laughs) So they are going to give him a certain amount of freedom to not have to do a property that already exists. To not have to you know, accommodate to a particular schedule that necessarily already done. They're going to give him some freedoms. And I can see, you know, in a lot of ways, I wonder if his little Twitter tirade isn't him just, like, expressing that stress of the fact that Maybe unbeknownst to us, all eyes in the industry were on him briefly. Mm -hmm. Maybe he crashed some meetings and said, Listen, you windbags, nobody wants to do anything original. I got this great idea for uh, Lex Luthor and Twilight script, and we are gonna do it, and it's gonna do gangbusters, you guys. Mm -hmm. And they were like, All right, Landis Jr., you got it. We'll give you some money and you can go do it. And then when it didn't happen, he puts it on the audience, right? He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I had this great original idea, but you guys just want to see young Arnold Schwarzenegger versus old Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: I do kind of want to see that. Did and you, wonder, uh, you know, know. You know when, when you read the negativity on the internet, as I occasionally foolishly do, both of the main actors in this movie take a lot of flack on the internet from the negative Nellies who have the negative Nellie voices. And I'm wondering if having... Two actors who have a base of people who vocally say they don't like them together as your romantic leads, because every every movie has to have a romantic lead story. I wonder if could that have any effect on whether or not American Ultra was successful? I don't know. But I know that if you enter Kristen Stewart in uh, the Yahoo or the, the Bing search engines, it's going to finish up with all sorts of terrible things about, oh, she can't act. She's a terrible human being. Bloody, bloody blue. Not that I have, but it, there are a number of factors that come into play, and I think that the primary factor, Stephen always points out, this is a business, primarily a business, and the people with the billions of dollars aren't going to throw those billions of dollars at something that no one's ever heard before until somebody makes it work until somebody proves that a superhero movie can actually come together from six other unrelated movies it wasn't going to happen and then when it did everything is suddenly a shared universe so i don't know
5: well it only the only way that you introduce originality into hollywood is you have Without a small hammer. you have a small independent film and you do it all yourself and that has a lot of traction to where someone's like oh wow this thing's really hot on the internet or this is really hot and wherever let's make a movie out of this that's that's where some originality comes from uh, there has been a really and i'm, I'm about 10 days uh, five days behind on my uh, podcast listing but there are a couple of really good ones uh, recently that people might want to listen to and go check out first one is night attack with uh, robert cargill who is the uh, script writer for Sinister and Sinister 2, uh, Sinister 2 out in theaters now. Uh, he also used to be a reviewer over at Ain't It Cool News. Uh, but he's a friend of uh, Brian Breshwood and Jury, and he's got a great, some great insights, mm-hmm. especially on what was going on with the Josh Trank thing. The other thing, and this is a, a, why I bring this up because of you have to do something small that catches a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is Robert Rodriguez is also doing a, uh, podcasting tour of the more popular podcasts out there. And he's talking about the same thing about how he would not make he would not be where he is today if he hadn't done something small and inexpensive that had a high profit margin. And the fact that he wasn't embedded in Hollywood and did everything from Texas and because people were like, well, here's a guy who can do it for seven thousand dollars. Let's go get him. That's how he was able to introduce things that he wanted to do because he was a became a known factor rising up from. You know, nothingness.
2: Yeah. It was, is, uh, Max Landis, I think, t- retweeted someone during his day of, of tweets. It was some, he was something some talking about Sinister 2, which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, uh, why would you do that? Go and look up, uh, cost to make Sinister. Look mm-hmm. how much money it made. Oh, wait, that makes a lot of sense. Why mm-hmm. they do another one? Mm-hmm. Cause they made a crap ton of money for how much it cost.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, uh, that's what Cargill talks about. Uh, and how that, that made it. And, mm. and uh, Rodriguez is promoting um, From Dust Till Dawn, the TV series, which kicks off oh, yeah, this week, depending yeah, on when I you're think listening it's to on it. This week, I, yeah. I
3: bumped into an episode of
2: it. Yeah, what what would you guys say is the most original film you've seen in the last year? Oh, in the last or year, the last five years.
5: Jeez. I would say that book of uh, Tree of Life thing was fairly <laughs> original, original, but it also, you know. I
2: suppose I it depends. That question,
5: huh? I suppose
4: it depends how you define it. Well, no, but... I just like
2: whatever you whatever you oh. think is original. I, what do I you think, think is? I think
4: Life of Pi had at mm-hmm. least a plot line that I hadn't seen in a long time. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was within five years. Yeah, it's close enough. So that was probably it for me. That's mm-hmm. the first thing that popped into my head. Really?
3: I, I mean, Originality just... is not something that I that I can quantify easily because I mean, even if you look at something, a game changer like Star Wars is highly derivative of the serials of the 1930s.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it, if you get a movie, what was the that Italian flick that we watched? Um, the Great, uh, the Great, Beauty. Great Beauty. The Great Beauty, yeah. Reminded me of, uh, what's his name, with the thing in the face. Oh, Do you, know you mean George movie? Lucas. Fellini? Yeah, I totally mean George Lucas. No, well, you I'm said not.
5: the guy with the thing in the thing.
3: <laughs> it, but it reminded me of Fellini, and it reminded me a bit of Truffaut, and it reminded me of things that I had seen before, back when I was a highfalutin film-type major, So I don't know, you know, it's the Neil Gaiman quote. Everyone has stories. Everyone is full of stories, but all the stories have those similarities and the stories aren't necessarily original. It's the way you present them. It's something that makes them feel different while in some cases being the same thing. So, again, you know, there are there are a lot of reasons why a story can come apart, but I don't necessarily know that is it original well, but he's it asking. going to be one of the, one of the major factors for at least a, a large scale audience of whether they're interested in something or not. Yeah is it is it overtly the same thing as something we just saw? That might come into play, certainly.
2: For me, when I thought just in the last year, I thought Inside Out had a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, I've that's, never that's seen true. that before. Yeah, yeah.
3: Have you ever seen Herman's Head? No. Sitcom on Fox, or circa 1986, 87. Similar premise. It's a, a man who, in his head, has four personalities who represent different parts of him. Mm. And the people who saw Inside Out and went, Oh my God, they're ripping off Herman's head. They missed the point. It's a similar <laughs> conceit, but it's done in, in an entirely different way with a different audience in mind. And I think that, you know, whether it's original or not didn't affect whether or not it was good. I really want to see that thing. I don't
2: know. It's great. You should. It's probably the best film of the summer.
3: I think I've seen about half of it in the previews by now. No. No. You you haven't. haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: Uh, You know, a movie many people would say is original: uh, Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, And speaking of Brazil, great segue. Uh, Drew McWheeney over at HitFlix wrote an article. Uh, just a couple days ago, like yesterday, something like that, whatever day it is, I don't know, uh, talking about how Brazil gave him the answers to life, the universe, and everything according to the title, um, which, you know, Brazil's awesome, we did a whole episode over that, I love that film. Speaking of which, back to the originality thing, I was reading uh, a Joseph... Campbell book earlier, and there was a passage in there talking about all these ancient myths and stuff. Right. And there's an entire, there's a, I have all the, to t- t- take a picture and put it on Twitter, there's a paragraph where he talks about these stories. I'm like, that's Brazil. Yeah. That the whole paragraph is Brazil. Yep. No, yeah. yeah no, Brazil no, no. That, that's crazy.
5: I mean, what are you reading? Uh, uh, mono, the, that
2: one was the power of myth. Okay.
5: I was going to say the myth one is, yeah. that's the one where you break that down and you can see where oh, Lucas yeah, gets crazy. his stories and you can see where yeah. the different right. cult I just love that. That it looks and breaks down the cultures around the world and Mm -hmm. finds, like, there are these, like, seven common stories that run through everything. Yeah, Yeah, well,
2: the next one I have to read is The Man with a Thousand Faces, which everyone says is, like, super dense. Yeah, that that one's pretty dense, too. But back to Brazil, he talks about uh, how it became – Brazil started his idea that his religion was, like, film and the theater was his worship thing, which you can get back to, but – it seems like, and he snuck this in there in the middle. The entire reason for the piece was to him to kind of address the security in movie theaters thing. He kind of slipped it in there, but it all seemed to be leading to that point. Yeah. If you go back and read it, um, and oh, uh, you know, something we talked about last week for most of the show was the the idea of if movie theaters should put in more security, and uh. You know, I was never really on board with the security thing, but now the way he kind of framed the argument of security in a a place where people should feel safe and stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, we we shouldn't do this. Then he talked about the church, the churches where they've had attacks, they don't have excess security or anything. Mm -hmm.
5: It's it's funny that it's almost like, you know, we record this show multiple many days ahead of the release, yeah, and it's funny that literally the day after we recorded AMC had installed the uh, the wands and mm-hmm. bag checks at a couple of their theaters and the vitriol from that was amazing on online where people are like i'm never going to an AMC theater again this is ridiculous uh this is taking too much time so it's really you know there was a lot of, when we recorded the show last week there were a lot of people in favor of it but then the minute that someone implemented it people are like ah oh, this is going to ruin movie going mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so yeah, he does get into that uh, a little bit in this piece too. So Mm. yeah, maybe we can just all be a little bit
3: smarter.
2: Yeah, I. What did you guys think about his ideas as uh, movie theaters is almost these like houses of worship?
3: Is that like click with you? Me, very uneasy.
2: Why? (laughs) Yeah, me too. A little bit.
3: We we've touched on this before in the show. In that I am not a highly spiritual faith based go-to-synagogue, go-to-church kind of person. I never have been, uh, even when my grandmother forced me to be. But I think that to equate my enjoyment of the pop culture that I love, or, you know, we've talked about how uncomfortable I am with extant real religions appearing in comic book form, it seems like it's somehow demeaning to someone else's faith. It's not my decision It's none of my business what anyone's faith is and what you want to go and do with your faith. If it makes you happy, if it gives you a sense of community, if it fulfills you as a person, then I'm perfectly fine with that. But I think that to say that someone going and praying to whatever being they choose is the same as me really, really loving Legion of Superheroes is first of all demeaning to the idea of spirituality for these people. And second of all, I think it puts far too much emphasis on the importance of the Legion of Superheroes or film to say that going to see a movie is the same as a repeated act of faith to me, both demeans acts of faith and really elevates movies far past where I'm comfortable uh, them being an influence on people's lives,
2: Rodrigo. What, what did you say you're un- uneasy about it? <laughs> um, so uh, this article
4: it's on on head fix right, mm-hmm. and and I do recommend that people go read it because it's it's a good read. Um, so uh, you know he starts talking about sort of trying to find a religion, but from the very beginning he's looking for religion in a kind of a detached intellectual. And pretty much secular way mm-hmm. you know right. he's looking for something that's going to make him feel a certain way but in that sense almost already by being that scientific about finding <laughs> a religion you're already kind of weirdly missing the point of it mm-hmm. um and, and i'm with him in that sense like i'm not a very religious person i'm almost the opposite um so uh, but i respect people's religions And the article is fine as a metaphor the whole way through. It's Mm. like, well, what do we do at church? We do this, we do this, this, and this. What do we do at the movie theater? We do something very similar, right? We do very Mm. similar things. You know, a community is formed. We have, you know, people that we, even without, like, religious texts, there are people that we laud within a religion, and people that we hate within a religion, Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but the moment that he changes it and compares safety in a movie theater versus safety in a church, and he actually, I believe he actually in the article says, you know, they're not doing this w- to other churches. Mm-hmm. My, I don't know what a hackle is, but mine got <laughs> raised. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, there was just something that was like very disingenuous, it, it seemed, about that. There is yeah. like he doesn't believe, he doesn't actually believe mm-hmm. that there is divinity in movies. He feels that that same sense of structure, community, um, I don't know, maybe approach to the sublime does exist in movies, but unlike people, unlike, you know, Christians, devout Christians, he doesn't believe that a movie can intercede for him in the... Universe, Or that Mm -hmm. a filmmaker can actually perform certain miracles, you know, the way that people in other religions do feel that any given person, depending on their credo, can do that sort of thing. He doesn't believe that. And, again, that very clinical approach to religion and then saying other religions like mine just made me feel very uneasy. Other than that, other than that single sentence... Mm -hmm. And really, the comparison in general to movie theaters, like basically bringing it to that, because the church-related stuff is also racial,
1: mm, uh, yes,
4: um, which the movie theater stuff isn't necessarily. It depends yeah, uh, on d- on each individual thing, but you know, a lot of the church issues are very racially charged. It just it just seemed really strange.
2: Stephen, you're a heathen. What do you think about all this? I am a heathen, <laughs> indeed,
5: I am. And I should point out that nowhere in his article does he use the word religion. Okay, that's very important. He does not use the word religion. Instead, he uses the word church. And if you want to break down the meaning of the word church in the Greek, it means belonging or pertaining it to. And when people talk about church, as Rodrigo has already mentioned, they're talking about a place of gathering with like minded people who want to discuss and have a fellowship in Whatever that may be, whether it be an Islamic or Buddhist or Christian or whoever should be interesting to to point out that uh, when you go and you look at the term or how uh, the word church evolved to be tied to religion, it was the Christians who who did that. Um, So when he talks about the movie theater being his church, the place where he finds fellowship with like minded people who. Get meaning or enjoyment, or in the case of what he's saying, life's ansel, answers through film. Um, I'm okay with that. I, I totally think that's okay. Uh, there was a documentary that you had mentioned to me. I was trying to find it uh, while everyone was talking. It's the documentary about the the uh, independent theater in Los Angeles that was um, going to close down until like um, Tarantino and a bunch of others. Oh, I
2: know what you're talking about. Do you, know, do you remember, the remember the name of that film? No, I don't it called. is
5: fantastic because. When you watch that film, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find it, and I'll uh, certainly put it in the show notes. They talk about the the diehard people that go to that cinema, view that place as their church, and they don't call it a religion. Uh, Patton Oswald was um, for a long time, and maybe still is a regular goer to this, and they have an interview with him where he talks about this sense of completeness that he got and other people got from going to the to the to the movie theater watching this and then having discussions afterwards about it sounds an awful lot like church to me. So I'm okay. If he wants to use the word church and say that he found his church when he saw Brazil, um, in 1987 or whatever year that he saw Brazil. I th- I think that's, I think that's totally okay. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. um, you know, he is trying to wrap this around the controversy of the security in theaters, which I don't think works in his argument, but this idea of yes, I've found my people inside the movie theater and wants to equate it to churches perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. No problem. No. And you? No, and that's coming from a heathen.
3: <laughs> I think I think it's the use of the word faith that bothers me because From the perspective of someone who, you know, has a a wife and child who regularly go to a Baptist church, there's there's a connotation to faith that goes beyond that expectation of just the definition of the term. Like Rodrigo said, there's a point where if you're able to analyze it and break it down to that level, you've kind of almost— Gone past that that level. And again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I am uncomfortable with it because I'm not comfortable making that equivocation that, you know, even if you look at any religious text as a collection of important stories that people have put together, the implication of the Cannes Film Festival is talented directors and actors came together and made these stories for us to enjoy And the implication of a religious text is that something from above and beyond touched people with the divine hand and gave them this information to pass on to the rest of us to somehow change the nature of our reality. So again, I I definitely agree with what Stephen says up to the point that when you're using other people's terminology— You have to make sure that you're using it on that same level. So when you talk about faith, my faith in the movie Brazil, it's a wonderful movie. It's an amazing film. And I will say that it's more touching to me than some things that I have read in religious or, you know, church related constructs because it appealed to me on some level, be that, you know, visual or visceral or I don't know, spiritual, whatever you want to look at it. But when you break it down, I don't think that I am comfortable with that equating some sort of divine hand coming down from the sky, although it is Terry Gilliam and, you know, body parts coming down from the sky. That's his thing. Pfft. Uh So I totally ruined my metaphor with a Monty Python joke at the end. And I'm really sort of fine with that.
2: Um Can I ask you two a question? Do you have the same ideas about this with like um, the spaghetti monster stuff where people will kind of go about with these what some people would say odd religious ideas to combat the overarching idea of like religious freedom in America?
4: Well, the the spaghetti monster stuff I can like is a specifically anti-religious construct, Mm -hmm. right? The idea is that um, uh, they're approaching religion from a a very clinical level saying like all the proof there is of the existence of any sort of deity but, Mm -hmm. you know, usually the Christian god in particular is this book that says so. Well, we also have a book that talks about this highly ridiculous creature Mm -hmm. and thus in normal discourse, in scientific discourse in, you know, just people talking like we do there is no difference between those right this mm-hmm. it is a a way to basically construct a logic based attack and lob it at people who don't approach things logically within mm-hmm, the sense mm-hmm. of their religion because it's not you don't they don't apply science to their religion because it doesn't exist in the same universe like it it just simply doesn't you know faith and logic are really at odds and the spaghetti monster is basically people who lean on logic framing something ridiculous in a religious context mm-hmm. and saying, logically, this doesn't like this is just as good as yours, which most religious people straight up don't understand. Mm-hmm, they don't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's difficult for them so, to get it because it okay. makes no sense okay, to them within that now. framework.
2: I understand now. It's that uh they're using it as uh, uh attack on the idea yep. of what they're doing, and he, you your problem, and I think yours too, Matthew, is that uh, the our, the writer of this piece is putting them on the same level yep. in a yeah. genuine fashion sure. and not trying right. to. The, this
4: this author, in in a weirdly similar way, is saying, you know, what do churches have? They have this. They have this. They have this. Film also has that. Ergo, it's a church. Let's all go to church together and. Mm-hmm. People who feel that there is a transcendent universal force in the universe are very likely to be offended by the fact that somebody just went through actually those points of similarity and said, well,
5: doesn't that make, like, the back office of work a church? Mm -hmm. Depends. The other thing that he talks about in here and what he says uh, gave him his quote-unquote faith, uh, and he doesn't say he found religion in this piece either, but he says... When I watch, he says, and he's being very straightforward with this, he and his friend went out and made an effort to try to find a church sure. that fit them. And so they went to every religion and went to a church of every religion for three weeks. Three years. Uh, no, yeah. three weeks each, I thought. Each. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah three, three weeks each. each. Uh, and he didn't get anything from that. Sure. But when he went and saw Brazil, he had this. Reaction, This visceral emotion that he only got from seeing that particular film, and he's been trying to get that again and again and again, very much like what people who have a religious epiphany go through where they say, I've gotten this feeling because I'm a member of this belonging group and I get this feeling every week when I go or whenever I do this. I don't think he's being sacrilegious. Uh, I think he's just putting out a very clear comparison of why. It's okay that if people want to call, uh, you know, the movies their church, uh, that's fine. I don't think it's I don't think it's it is, sacrilegious on on any way, shape, or form.
4: It is. It is really amazing, and I didn't catch it. I'm I'm glad that you did. That he, you know, if he's you're very, right, he's, he, very fact, he's very, he's very, he's very specific. specific about how he works
5: exactly,
4: things, which is amazing. It's amazing that he. You say he doesn't use the word religion? He does not
5: yet? use the re- word religion at all in his article. In the comments section, there's like four people that talk about religion. So that's, that's really that in its own
4: way kind of encapsulates this, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a person who spent three years looking for a church and never once did he think To look for, he was looking, he
5: was looking for faith, is what he was doing. Yeah.
4: He, he wasn't looking for a religion. He was looking for a structure. Mm -hmm. He was looking for a building full of people. Mm -hmm. And he finally found the building full of people he liked. And that's kind of what this article is about. It's kind of what this article, in a way, is lacking is this is someone who is approaching this not from trying to, makes sense necessarily of the secrets of the universe, although he does get at it a little bit through that, but rather trying to find a structure, a community, a place where he fits in. Mm -hmm. And he uses, and you're right, he uses the word church to mean that group, that structure, that place, rather than religion to signify a dogma, a set of behaviors Mm -hmm. or anything like that. He also doesn't,
5: he does use, dogma but he talks about it um from the pure religious standpoint he's not sure. saying that movies are a dogma or that he sure. finds that from that he's saying that dogma was pushed on me at a very early age so it it,
4: it i mean it's it's really interesting to me that somebody can read this article and f- feel that sense of transgression mm-hmm. um and somebody else can read it and not and the difference there is i think to a certain degree that sense of that kind of clinical approach. Are you saying, are you going word for word and saying this word is correct? He's, very, is correct. he's being very, he's specific very specific and literal. He's and that's why. He's very specific, very literal. He's that's, not
5: stepping out of right. any bounds nope. that can misconstrue right. what he's saying. And and if people bring it up, he can say, I never said anything about religion. So you, and that's why Drew McWeeny is a, an excellent writer and has been since he was um, writing for, and I believe for a while running Ain't It Cool News. And it's funny yeah. because um, the guy who wrote Sinister, uh used to also work in at Ain't it cool news under Masterworm was his name and Drew McWeeny fired him so there's a, another connection in this whole uh that, lineup of of stuff
4: And that is it basically what Stephen just said that's the scientist right mm-hmm. That is the letter literally the letter of this article yes. never steps out of bounds If you're that looking makes at it this article works for me Yeah if you're looking at this article from an emotional or personal level this article is actually transgressive as
2: hell mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I I uh, I kind of like the idea of it as church, mainly because I've throughout the course of Zach on film, I've probably learned more about humans and life than I have in like anything sure. else. Uh, and I was watch we went and watched Selma in Salina because mm-hmm. I had to drive there to right. watch Selma. Right. And I came and I was driving back and it was late and I was thinking, like my, like dream scenario of life would somehow be to do what we do in this podcast, but in a theater, like if we had a small theater and sure. we could just show a film and then just talk about it with a bunch of cool people. Uh, like, that would be my dream scenario. Chada and I,
5: my wife and I had very serious and very long conversations when the Fox Theater went up for sale mm-hmm. about doing exactly that because we've talked before with... Um, Ah, Crap it. Now I forgot his name. Uh, he's down in Texas. Uh, Mark Finn down in Texas, who we've had on the major spoilers podcast before He uh, is a writer. But he also runs a small independent uh, theater and they do exactly that. And so we had very long discussions about that, about buying the theater and doing exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying until it came to light that you could not use it as a theater.
2: Yeah. As it's part actually of actually cursed if you put yes. up a, a yeah. film
5: and like blood starts dripping yes. out of it. So, yeah, believe me, I've had that. Yeah. I've had that <laughs> thought before. So
2: like that would be. The the greatest thing in my life, yeah, is if we could sure. just do this with a bunch of yeah. people
3: and even do Can it I wear a, right a, a red jumpsuit and have cool robot pals? I mean, if you
2: sit in the back, you can, I guess, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and are quiet.
2: Yeah, please don't talk, Matthew. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> I don't talk during movies. I'm not a jerk. Well, no, of course not. No one. Will well, be no, talk. That, there is an exception. If we're in my living room, I'm going to talk during
2: movies. well yeah, sure.
3: I paid for the TV. It's your it's your
2: living room. Sure, exactly. Um, so good. I mean, I kind of like the article. I hope that people don't get offended by it, but it is the internet, so I'm sure some people will. It,
4: it was just that thing. And I think it, it is that... Um, it's kind of like a... You have to look at it as like a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what... Uh, what was his last... what's his name? Mc- McQueenie. McQueenie. Here's what McQueenie... McQueenie. ...cares about. Uh, like, here's what his definition of a church is. Mm-hmm. Here's where, you know... Uh, usually a church's definition of a church is. And there's plenty of connect in the Venn diagram, but there's going to be stuff outside of it, and mm-hmm. that's going to cause some contention, given this article.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Alright, you guys got anything else to say?
3: Hamburgers. Are good.
2: Hamburgers? Uh, How long have we been recording, Stephen? Enough. Enough? Good. That's it. This episode's over. <laughs> Go to com where you can find this podcast posting page. Uh, You can... Comment on all the articles we talked about. You can talk about. Oh, yeah. I thought you were gonna say something. <laughs> oh, no, I, was, no. I was gonna say oh. if
4: you if you go out and you can use the Amazon link yeah. on the major spoiler site mm-hmm. to buy Brazil once again. If you yeah. bought Brazil every time we've told you to go buy Brazil, you probably have seven copies of it, mm-hmm. which is about how many <laughs> endings there are. Yes, to Brazil. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. If they would just uh, go them up. check
5: out the Criterion Collection, definitely. Oh, absolutely. And uh at some point in the future depending on when you're listening to this hello future people maybe you could buy uh, American Ultra and shut Max Landis up.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> make it a make it a, a sleeper hit and then he'll be like, "Well, I guess people do like original stuff." Well, and that's
4: the thing is like, ah, uh, like I I wish we, someday we just have to talk about the issue of
5: like basing a movie's success on opening weekend box office, right? Well, you're not I mean, going to get around that. I mean, we've had that conversation. You're never going to sure, break Hollywood of sure, that. Sure. The only way you can break Hollywood of that is to Do what many smaller films have been doing, and that is to do a simultaneous release uh, in theaters and on iTunes or Hulu or Netflix at the same time, which iTunes does do that quite a bit. We did that with Mm -hmm. Slow West and some others. And I think that's where you find your true audience.
2: Bonus content. Now this episode is over at spoilers.com. Find the podcast post page. Shock anything All we talk about this episode. Click Amazon.com. Link by Brazil. It'll be great once again. It's not going to cost you any extra. A little bit. Come back to Major Spoilers. Everything will be happy and everyone will be happy and everyone you love will live forever if you use that link. Uh-huh. I don't endorse that. Neither does Amazon, but you never know until you try. Uh, yep, that's it exactly. for this week. <laughs> that's it for this week. See you next week with Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2015
4: by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.
0: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.